0: Don't regress back into the psychedelic 60s. The 80s are here. Grab a wife, settle down, and most of all, don't do drugs.
1: Welcome to Science at the Movies. A podcast that talks about the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated
0: movies. I'm Abby. I'm Frida. And this week's movie takes us further back in time to Altered States. That's so true. Yes. I thought about that. Each movie we've done has been back, 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 back. I know. We were in the 90s last, yeah, we- no, last episode time. with Independence Day and now we're in the dumb 80s. Oh my God. Does that mean I have to go to the 70s next time? No, I'm not. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm gonna tell you right now I'm not.
0: <laughs> We're actually devolving. Which De- is a oh! big theme of this week's episode. Isn't that right? <laughs> oh sweet, sweet, sweet. I know. Oh, my so God. I just Can I, I tell you
1: Yeah. Do you do you wanna know do you wanna know what I said when I finished watching this movie?
0: Yeah.
1: And my very first um I I was sat down <laughs> sat on the bed watching it and the credits rolled. I literally just sat there and out loud just went Sweet mother of fucking Jesus.
0: (laughs) I thought it was going to be something like, Frida, I hate you. (laughs) Because I was sort of waiting for you to watch it and send me some angry text message. And so when you said on, whenever it was, I haven't watched it yet, I'm watching it tomorrow. I was like, okay, great. (laughs) Speak to you after. (laughs)
1: And then like as soon as I watched it, there were you're right, there were so many things I wanted to send you. And I was just like, just wait, just wait until we record. So I haven't said anything to you about it yet. That's the only thing I've told you, sweet mother of fucking Jesus.
0: That's the sound of me rubbing my hands together. <laughs> before we get into it. ready. Yeah, um, yeah, actually. Before yeah. we get into it, I just want to actually read the five star review. Hello. On that was oh, left yeah. for us on Apple Podcasts by Astro Bick. It's called Looking Forward to More. Sounds good, interesting, and easy to listen to. (laughs) Sorry, I'll start that again. It reads, sounds good, interesting. (laughs) Why can't you read a sentence? (laughs) It reads, sounds good. Do you need me to do this? <laughs> do you want to read it for us? Oh, you don't have it. it I don't have it. You have it. Sounds good. <laughs> What's wrong it's with not every... <laughs> Sounds
1: good. Interesting to listen to. Looking forward to more.
0: Episodes. Episodes.
1: <laughs> there you go.
0: Sounds what good. Interesting and easy to listen to. Looking forward to more episodes. Thank you, Astro Bic. And please, to all our <laughs> listeners out there, Go straight to Apple Podcasts, rate us, leave us a review. We want to know what you think of us. We want some feedback yeah. and we'll read all your reviews uh, out loud. You,
1: you can hold, hold back some of the feedback on what you think about us personally. <laughs> but, you oh, know, bring it on. Bring the
0: show, it's cool. <laughs> I'm sure it's all L-O-V-E for both of us. Yeah. <laughs>
1: subscribe subscribe please subscribe because yes. um that helps us to be discoverable oh, yeah. i think a bit more in this sea of celebrity podcasts that now have occurred since the land of lockdown I, you notice oh that gosh. lockdown happened and suddenly every fucking person on the planet had a podcast yeah it's like what 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 because what? suddenly you've all these like famous celebrities at home with no outlet
0: yeah speaking of the lockdown now that we've gone into our lockdown yeah. chat so when i listened to the moon episode you know and I'm talking about oh, everything's lifting everything's great we're back in lockdown six weeks so I'm sort of yeah, giving see, up that's what you get yeah that's what I get I know we're back <laughs> in lockdown <laughs> it is what I get so so it's sort of like you know what it's going to be different two weeks from now as well uh, four weeks excuse but it's me. weird
1: because we're on the reverse then you know you like Victoria's back in lockdown but in the UK as of this week we're pretty much open again you know all the shops, the pubs, yep. the restaurants, cafes, beauticians. It's all kind of starting to open up again. And I'm just like sitting here just going, well, I'm not leaving my apartment and I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks
0: when you put us back in lockdown. Exactly. <laughs> so that's just, I mean, accept the fact that by the time this comes out, it'll be in four weeks from now, it'll be a totally different situation. And we accept that. But you know what? Yeah. It's okay. We're here to talk about movies. Yeah. Exactly. So, speaking of movies, I'm just not even going to ask you how you are this week. How are you? Speaking of movies, how am I? Um, yeah, you know it's been getting back in lockdown has been super rough, um, mm. and I've also hurt my hip. I've hurt oh, my hip. Oh, hello. <laughs> the, yeah, from all the yoga at home that I've been doing. <gasps> No. and then I injured myself and so now I can't really move so it's it's hard sort of staying indoors not being able to exercise because I'm eating a lot um mm. and I'm not really seeing a lot of sunlight because it's raining outside and it's kind of a little bit rough for <laughs> me oh. but on the other hand um nope no bright side okay cool <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna bake a chocolate cake today That's my bright side uh, uh, I've kind of accepted it now I'm like okay My clothes don't fit me I've got some stretchy pants And that's fine And I'll just keep wearing My stretchy pants And yeah I'll just make myself A big ass chocolate cake Now we're fuffin'. Fuffin. New <laughs> no word fuffing. Word of the day Bring us so to the movie. So let's buff on Into some movies <laughs> So, you had the movie choice this week. You picked the 1980s cult classic, Altered States. I, as seems to be a theme with us, had not seen this movie before and have now had my very first watch of it. So why don't you first tell us all about this movie. Um, Give us the summary that I probably should have read before I watched this movie. 1980s. Not
0: 1980s. 1980. Oh, ooh, 1980 oh. film, Altered States.
1: Burgeoning era.
0: Yeah, directed by Ken Russell and uh, the screenplay was by Paddy Chayefsky, who he was a very uh, well-acclaimed uh, screenwriter and then he took a break to write the novel Altered States before then adapting it to a screenplay. Altered States. So William Hurt, in, get your head around this. This is William Hurt's first movie. He went on to become a huge star. This was his first movie. This wasn't a weird movie he did in the middle of his career. This was his first. This was his debut. William Hurt plays Edward Jessup, a psychopathologist who is researching schizophrenia, in particular religious delusions that are sometimes experienced by people who suffer from this. At an academic mixer, he appears in a doorway, a saintly vision to anthropology PhD candidate Emily and he tells her that he's researching altered states, states that are other than the normal waking state and wonders if schizophrenic patients are simply experiencing an altered state. He's, he's clearly crazy, we are yelling at the screen. <laughs> Stay away from him. But Emily insists on marrying him anyway. Cut to a few years later and we see her peering out of the window from up from the upper levels of an apartment building, a damsel in distress. Now, the motivation, behind, <laughs> the motivation behind his work harkens back to the loss of his religious faith that occurred around the agonizing death of his father, the loss of the father, you see. He claims to have experienced religious visions as a child, and a lot of the work he does to induce altered states using sensory deprivation chambers and later psychedelic drugs are all done in the service of trying to induce religious visions or visions of some final truth through science. He says early in the movie, although it's very hard to catch because they're all screaming over each other, that mankind, but he means himself, has done away with the idea of a god, the father, right? The loss of the father and must journey to the center of themselves to find the truth. He says in a drunken exposition that cells have memory, do they? That maybe (laughs) we have some shared memory of our primordial origins and by getting high enough, we can remember them much science mumbo-jumbo, but it doesn't matter because of how much they're screaming. What matters is he means it and they think he's crazy. Jessup leaves his wife and daughter Drew Barrymore, in also her film debut, in service of this truth. Jessup travels to find some magic mushrooms, it seems like it's an ayahuasca ceremony, which are supposed to induce the same experience in everybody, he thinks maybe this is the key to our cellular memory. He trips out really, really bad, Or really good, depending on how you look at it. And then he has the inspired idea to combine the drugs with the tank to really trip out. And then things really start to go off the chain. The movie starts to give way to glorious insanity. We see Jessup transforming into a prehistoric man, running through the Boston Zoo. We see Jessup opening up a door in his house and looking into the depths of hell. And that's just a Tuesday. In the end, he finds out that there is no final truth but the endless expanse of nothingness and the agony of being born into it. He realizes he's much better off holding on to his woman and she reaches right in and pulls him out because after all, that's what women are here for. The movie ends just as it began with Edward and Emily embracing free love naked in each other's arms. Supporting roles of note are Bob Balaban and Charles Hayde as Jessup's colleagues offering something normal to cling on to. I can't help but think that there's another message to this film, which is don't regress back into the psychedelic sixties. The eighties are here. Grab a wife, settle down, and most of all, don't do drugs. <laughs> and that's my summary. <laughs>
1: The 80s are here grab a wife and settle down. That's my summary. Well done. Well done. That is very, very good summary. And you picked up on so much stuff that I completely missed.
0: (laughs) This is a movie which improves with distance. Yeah. (laughs) It's like so crazy to me.
1: Oh it's my God. So I didn't crazy know it was me. William Hurt's first role. First I, I did role. actually think it was one of these things because he's quite old in it. So I just assumed it was like, yeah, just something where you oh, know, I'm going to take a little break and do something kooky.
0: <laughs> you say he's old, but knowing him from the 90s, which I remember him from the 90s, he was old, older man to me. So when I saw him in altered states, his youthfulness, his like youthful good looks. Yeah.
1: When he appears but in like, the
0: doorway. I, yeah.
1: Oh my God! Stop! I did. I just <laughs> like there's so much. I wrote. Um. Oh, do you know what? Like, what you're saying about the you know? And then he realizes like the bleakness, and then um, of nothing, the nothingness, and that he's better off with his wife. Like, once it got to that kind of point I said, sentence, I literally just wrote in all capitals. It's a fucking love story. He was <laughs> like, I hadn't really picked up on it until then,
0: and then I was really annoyed at it. I was just like. What? (laughs) It is a love story. But I mean, the first 10 minutes of the movie are so good because the way that they meet one another, Emily and Edward, their flirty Mm -hmm. behavior, their science flirty behavior, their little chit chat, like that could have been uh, in a movie today yeah easily but it sets it
1: up really serious at the start and I'm like kind of going oh this is a really kind of intense movie and then, like he just starts going <laughs> off his game with fireworks everywhere and there's a dead lizard and I'm like oh what? oh and she's like made out of sand and
0: oh. what is happening <laughs> so Ken Ken Russell the director of the movie is in love with like pyrotechnics and fun fact about this movie is that it so Chayefsky wrote the book, and it was, and he was a very well-known uh, screenwriter, right? But it mm-hmm. passed around to twenty-six different directors before finally setting on Ken Russell. Wow. But but they didn't they didn't get along at all, and actually Chayefsky left the production in the middle, and it was credited under a pseudonym.
1: Wow. Well, because what I thought was interesting about that the Chayefsky and um, Russell thing was that um, when he left. One of the things that I read that one of his complaints was that he refused to allow them to change anything in the dialogue. Mm. Choevsky was like, you can't, the actors have to say the dialogue exactly as is. And as a kind of retaliation, apparently Russell had them speak it really fast and speak while eating. (laughs) I don't know how much truth there is in those comments, but I wrote a note down where I said, I don't understand what his research is because he was eating a sandwich when he was explaining it. and I couldn't understand the words he was saying.
0: They scream over each other so much. But it's funny it, because but I love it. it's mumbo jumbo, so it doesn't matter. That's the thing. Who cares? They're talking yeah. such shit that it, honestly it's irrelevant what they are saying. And and like it, as a viewer, you're watching it and you're going, I understand that it doesn't matter whether I know what they're saying or not. <laughs> yeah. But so
1: character wise,
0: what did yeah. you think of them? How, how did you feel? About the cast themselves. Oh, my God. William Hurt is just – he's incredible. First of all, he treats it so seriously. He's so believable. Uh, His craziness and his total desperation for finding some sort of, like, spiritual comfort, as I'm sort of assuming. Um, But he's balanced out really well by his colleagues. So I enjoy everything – out of the mouth of Bob Balaban and the other guy, Charles Haight, everything out of their mouths was like a relief to me because of how batshit William Hurt's character was. Yeah. Um, I wrote down, Mason is great, poor Arthur.
1: <laughs> that was poor. just all I could think. I was like, poor Arthur, just like, man, he's just like going, dude, you're crazy, but I can't let you alone with this crazy. I gotta like take care of you. And Mason is just like, I'm gonna to try to use science to explain to you why you're fucking nuts. <laughs> I just I just loved it. And he is crazy. Um The women though. <laughs> Can I right, you mentioned Drew Barrymore. Can I just say something that's like gonna come across as like crazy stupid? But mm. um I spent the whole movie waiting for Drew Barrymore to turn up. Because oh. I forgot that it was 1980 and how old she would be. I assumed she was going to be one of the grad students. And I thought there was going to be some big thing with a grad student. And then she never turned up. And I was like, oh, because she's a fucking kid.
0: Yeah. What? W- this grad student? Dr. Jessup? Are you okay? Mm. That one?
1: Oh, God. Ooh, yeah, that boy. randomer
0: that turned up in the middle. <laughs> oh, boy. This uh, this uh Dr. Jessup is philandering. Yeah. Um, This doctor. Well, she had
1: left him though, and they were getting a divorce, right?
0: I know. So here he is in bed with a grad student who's calling him Doctor Jessup in bed. Oof.
1: That's going to maybe feature a little bit later on Mm. in our discussion. I have a feeling. Yeah, and and just
0: (laughs) Just so let's yeah, you know, before before we go on to talk about themes, the the thing about this movie which is just so crazy is, and I mentioned about that it being at the beginning of the eighties, and Mm. it's and. Actually, it's weeks before Ronald Reagan started his term. Weeks. That's oh. when this movie was released. And in a sense, and we know that America took like a really sharp turn to conservatism after that. This is before America just went, fuck it, yuppies, Wall Street. <laughs> so I find that the historical context of this movie like totally fascinating. This insane, batshit, crazy, psychedelic movie. Yeah, It's interesting. Well,
1: but in speaking of, like, the batshit and crazy psychedelicness of it, what about the imagery of the
0: movie? (laughs) Some of the the imagery was incredible. The ayahuasca Mm -hmm. trip was, I thought, totally amazing. Um, Yeah. Like, uh, the imagery of him and his wife lying there in the sand and sort of slowly blowing away. Um, Yeah but
1: I mean you say slowly blowing away I mean it was slow (laughs) They were there for ages While she was there naked Where I assumed she was The lizard then becomes her And then she was going to become the lizard But then it took a long time for her to become sand And then they were sand for a really long time Before they blew away (laughs) And I was just sitting there just going We all know what's going to happen here So why am I waiting for this Come on man
0: Yeah and there's like a probably four massive hallucination sequences and it's it is kind of like okay, it's on it's enough already. We get it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we we see the point. And the but last that's the thing yeah. I guess it's the like the forcing forcing driving home a point kind of thing. Like feeling like you need to like we just want you to be absolutely sure or we wanna be absolutely sure that you know that this is a big ass hallucination moment. <laughs> So actually, what I, what I would like to just, just before we move into the themes is, um, I just said the movie's got some great fucking lines mm. in it, right? Mm. So like, what <laughs> that thing, I remember having that moment where you say, when she's looking out the window of the apartment, the damsel in distress, oh. we've had a time jump. And I was like, is this a time jump? Are they the... Do the kids belong to them? Are That's they somebody right. else's kids? But thankfully, there was random lady in the kitchen continuously shouting, I can't believe it's been seven years. Oh my God, it's been seven years. I can't <laughs> believe, can you believe it's been seven years? And I was just like, oh, cool. It's been seven years. Thanks for that.
0: <laughs>
1: Thank you. Good, good placement of information. I enjoyed it. But um, can I, I've, I've got a couple of favorite lines. Yeah. Can I, okay, I'm just, just going to tell you the first one. Yeah. She's talking when they're talking about having sex, and she's explaining what it's like. And she she says, "It's like being harpooned by some raging monk in the act of reaching God." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's fucking brilliant.
0: Oh my god! I uh, there's so oh, much and, I want to say about that.
1: And this, then wait, can I give you the next one?
0: Yeah. Next favorite line
1: when he's ta- when he's talking. So my next favorite favorite line is when he's talking about one of his hallucinations. I obviously regressed into some quasi simian creature. <laughs> oh, you obviously regressed. Oh, okay. Obviously, <laughs> like <laughs> I knew <laughs> that I would. And then I love this is what the the next two are. My last two. Then I just Mason because it's just me just saying. I just fucking love Mason. There's when he brings the scans to the radiologist and um, the radiologist is like, L- looks to me like the architecture is a bit abnormal, Mason. Somewhat. This guy's a fucking gorilla. <laughs> it's like, fucking great. <laughs> and then his last one is like, you come out of that tank looking like an ape. I'm going to go over the road and commit myself.
0: <laughs> yeah, he was amazing. I um, fucking loved him. Where? Oh, I wish... I wish there was more ambiguity about whether the transformations were real or not. Um, Yeah. But there wasn't quite enough ambiguity for me. So it's just a little too crazy. Because I did
1: wonder. I was like, oh, is it him hallucinating? And then I was like, but then why are they running around saying that there's a creature in the basement? So they've all seen the creature. So. No, anyway he, he could um,
0: have been walking in a way that made them think it but yeah sure exactly I like suppose, the, there yeah. wasn't quite enough ambiguity like he did devolve into a yeah. prehistoric man okay oh okay you um, guys <laughs> totally that's that makes sense totally um
1: okay so in like lack of ambiguity as you're saying the movie mm. is dealing with a man searching for god through altered states of consciousness Mm -hmm. Uh, But the movie's intended themes aside, we all know each movie will harp on some trope eventually. So what was, let's move into our first segment, which is our Trope of the Week, Frida. What was your Trope of the Week?
0: My Trope of the Week was male genius with (sighs) long-suffering wife. That was my trope, because that's what we were looking at here. And that is a thing that we see consistently repeated in movies man genius dedicated and suffering wife like that was pretty much what i picked up from this one that was my exact one too oh my god
1: abby this is the first time we've snapped on trope
0: hell yeah that's like yeah it's like from the beautiful mind and probably a million other examples or
1: this whole yeah this whole fucking idea of like oh i'm so overly focused on my career and You know, I can't possibly be in a loving and committed relationship if I want to progress in my career because it's too much of a distraction, all this happiness and joy that I have in my home. (laughs) So I'm just going to go off and leave it all behind and fuck some grad students and be a brilliant scientist. But then, of course, he has to have some moment of reality. And this whole thing that he's searching for the whole time is like, oh, no, it's bleak. And it's not like it's not what I hoped it was going to be. This spark that I've been searching for in my science career is not true. And actually, it's here in my wife all along. So now I will return to her. And she's just like, yes, come back.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's the thing which which annoyed me the most, was her total willingness to just sit and take it. <laughs> yeah. But this is like a thing with like genius men. Um, definitely a thing. I'm over... Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll come across it again in
1: the future. <laughs> so, considering we had the same trope, we mm-hmm. um, can leave that there, and we can move into our next segment, which is science as a theme, science and scientists as a theme. So, starting with the environment of the science, you know, mm. the whole land of academia. How did you feel how they represented it and presented it to us?
0: There was a bit at the beginning of the movie which I like when he talks about, you know, what are they doing sucking up to whoever's going to put them on tenure, publishing two papers a year. Um, this sort of d- dissatisfaction that he had with the academic life and him not really feeling as though he was doing anything or fulfilling any particular purpose. And I like that, you know, I they set up a lot of sort of academic lifestyle things um, at the beginning of the movie which definitely gave way to just this insane entertainment, I suppose, um, Mm. at the end. But that whole idea of like, this is just mind numbing and kind of random, the idea that I want to be a scientist because I'm passionate about science and that's why I'm here. But what seems to be happening is a pressure to publish every single year and having to like play a lot of politics with the people around me. And that can mm. lead to like a certain dissatisfaction for sure. So I felt like yeah. that was all right. Did you did you sort of, um, did you relate to that at all?
1: I enjoyed the idea that they weren't using the sensory deprivation tank to... With a specific goal in mind, that it was just like you know they had some line where they saying, "Oh, we're not trying to write a grant for it. We're just bootlegging. We just ha- there's one there, so we'll just play around with it and see what happens." Yeah. And I kind of liked that kind of exploration idea of like use the resources that we have available and see where it goes. That it wasn't set up as this big, drastic, like
0: yeah, something you've with an to- outcome.
1: Yeah, it was just kind of this all originated through. So I think it made them have a bit of a freer environment with what they were doing as well, because it wasn't really structured around a big scientific responsibility. It was structured around this guy who's just got a lot of freedom because he's super smart and they have the resources and they're just able to play around and see what happens. And
0: yeah, we all know what happened. He has a Mm -hmm. lot of power to do that because he's like this whiz kid and... They're giving him a lot of freedom in order to do this experiment, where we just want to see what happens.
1: But yeah, I suppose as you're saying, like you know, he is this whiz kid scientist, and like mm. we've talked about him as as a character, and you know, he is a he's a solid science character, I think. Definitely. Um, yeah. Were you like with all of them? Were you? How did you feel about the? I mean, we've got four. Mm. You know, we've
0: got Arthur Mason, and then our two mains yeah emily and and edward yeah and actually speaking of which like i also want to talk about like academic coupling as well because um arthur he's got his wife is not an academic it doesn't seem she's taking care of the kids so so he, if he's able to has to move to harvard for a job then she comes along and takes care of the family which is like what does happen with a lot of couples Um, people that have to move to uh, another country or another town for a pose, which is like totally normal. And they bring their family with them. And often, you know, most often it's a man. And so you have the wife that sort of, Sticking by and, and finding the new school for the kids and finding the new home and, and working all that stuff out. And in the case of Emily and Edwin, when it sometimes happens with couples that are both academics, if one person needs to go to Harvard for a job, the other person needs to find a job in Harvard as well. And in their case, she was able to find it because she's a whiz kid too. But sometimes if the person has enough clout, and they're important enough to somewhere like Harvard, then Harvard will find the partner a job as well so they can both move there. But I think with the people that meet as academics, and and in this couple, like, they're so attracted to each other because of the fact that they're both academics as well. And you hear in the conversation that they have when they meet that they kind of really like that each other's uh, the whiz kid and all that. He says something like, you know, uh, anthropology tends to, Attract attractive women (laughs) and all this kind of thing. But what happens when a couple, when both of you are academics, it's hard to both have, um, you know, big, strong careers. And you see she has to move to another country for her job because that's what happens in academia. Sometimes you have to move countries and it's hard to both have your careers um, at the front if you're both academics. It's super hard.
1: Can we talk for one second, though, about her actual role? Because I... I was like, there's laying out a whiz kid and then there's laying out something like, how fucking realistic is this? I know it was the 80s or like the 60s, 70s, whatever. So maybe it was more realistic in the 80s or in that time. I keep saying the 80s. Maybe it was more realistic in the 60s and 70s. But can we just for a second, in reality, talk about this whole fucking timeline situation? Okay, go. When he meets her, she is a 24-year-old PhD student. Then we cut to the scene... It's the scene she ends up proposing in. She walks in the door and she says, It's all settled. I'm going to be doing my postdoc work in Nairobi in July and August, and by September, I'll be teaching at Harvard. And he's already being moved to Harvard. So she's kind of like, Well, we're both going to be at Harvard, so we should stay together. So I'm watching this and I'm like, Okay, cool. I wonder how much time has passed. She was a PhD student when she met him. So surely she's a couple of years into a postdoc now. They must have been together for ages. And then next thing she says something like, you're the man who's been sleeping in my bed the past two months. And I'm like, excuse me? Are we using months on like some tripped out timescale to represent years or something here? That you've got a 24 year old who is graduating from their PhD, they're doing a two month postdoc and then teaching at Harvard.
0: What? (laughs) Whatever. Where's my two month postdoc? (laughs) Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah, I did I mean, her character was pretty much like she's a whiz kid, she's an academic, and then we see like nothing else from her apart from her getting off the plane in yeah. safari gear. She's wearing like a safari outfit at one point, so I guess she's from whatever she's doing. We hear very little about her and this is definitely yeah. an issue with women in film from a certain period of time, is that like we do not get their inner life whatsoever. Yeah. They're there only in service of the man. Heavily, she's there in service of him. Oh, she's very much
1: in service of him, yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's sort of like, and he's nuts, and his behavior is like not really excusable. (laughs) And and it was definitely an affront to watch her just be like there, no matter what. It's like not romantic at all to me, to be honest. And it's, no. I mean, if you're, if you're a young, a young girl watching those things and you're getting these like really crazy ideas about like what it means to be a partner, it means picking them and then just standing by them (laughs) no matter what. She just is like, I've picked you. And he's like, Jesus. Okay. (laughs) And then he's
1: like, oh, well, we may as well get married. I'll never find anyone as good as you. And it's like, that's a great reason to want to marry her. But okay. Wait,
0: wait, wait. One second. One second. You know what? And he says this, that she grounds him. This is also a whole lot of Mm. bullshit as well. It's not that I love you. It's not that um, you're the one. It's that I need you to ground me. That's what he says. Yeah. Like, I'm just this crazy genius. Without you, I would float away. You ground me. This is not romance. That is not romance. That is saying you are here. Your needs and desires
1: don't matter. Your career, your future, yeah, your responsibility is to fix me.
0: That's right. Yeah. And and that's, that was his expression ultimately was that I'm going to drift off and find there's only more truth to learn. And it's it, it's the universe is infinite and truth is therefore infinite and I'm going to drift off and I need you because you ground me. And this is supposed to translate to romance somehow. I think this is a very dangerous idea, which basically says that in this couple – I'm more important than you, but
1: I would argue I would argue he does the same in his friendships.
0: I'm the genius that he and- treats
1: them in the same way. yeah, that like they are there to ground and support him as well. Yeah, that he is just has this carte blanche freedom to mm. be the crazy scientist, to be the crazy genius, to just go off out and do all of these things, and he'll be okay because Arthur's gonna watch over him while it's happening. She's going to ground him and Mason's going to check his sanity, you know? That's right.
0: That's right. And it doesn't work that way, honey. It really doesn't. Can, yeah.
1: And do you know what I loved? I, this actually leads right into one of my favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. The moment when he gets the x-rays and he's laughing hysterically because he's like, and we'll get to it in a bit, but, you know, he's regressed. Um And he's like, oh, my God, you know, and he's like he couldn't speak for ages and he had to write it down. He's like, X-rays and get these tests done. And my favorite scene is that moment when they're in the corridor and Mason grabs the X-rays from Arthur and he just starts this tirade at the beginning. And it's just like, I'm going to show these to someone who can read them right because you're reading them wrong. And it just continues (laughs) on. Through all of this stuff where he gets more and more agitated and more and more angry as he goes on, where he's just like, and he starts giving his CV. He's like, I'm a professor of endocrinology at the Harvard Medical School. I'm an attending physician at the Peter Brigham Hospital. I'm a contributing editor to the American Journal of Endocrinology. <laughs> and I'm fellow and vice president of the Eastern Association of Endocrinologists and president of that Journal Club. And then he just starts walking <laughs> off the stairs and he's still shouting, and he's like, I'm not going to listen to any more of your cabalistic, quantum freaking dumb mumbo jumbo. I'm going to show these to a radiologist. <laughs> it's just the best scene because, like, it's just him just, like, going, you're fucking crazy. I'm going to tell you why you're crazy. I'm going to tell you why I'm educated and experienced enough to tell you that you're fucking crazy. But also just to really drive the point home I'm gonna go to a radiologist to make sure they can also tell you that you're fucking crazy and I don't know why but I just I had to write down that speech because that scene I just loved every moment of it and it just made me go fucking love Mason He's
0: great and I'm the president and I'm the president of the journal club
1: yeah I loved that
0: I love the whole thing of like I don't have an explanation but it's not fucking that thing and yeah. I should know <laughs> And that's enough. I actually often feel the same way about things when people are giving like, you know, sort of a pseudoscientific thing. And I'm like, I don't know the thing, but it isn't that. And I will yeah. know. And like, I, <laughs> I, I love that.
1: Yeah. So I just even just like that point where he just walks away, walks up the stairs, still shouting about it, still like, you know, oh, I'm going to prove you wrong. So he goes off, heads to the radiologist in order to get the reality of what the situation is and what's happening and this is where we start to come into a little bit of oh here comes the science so (laughs) leading us into our next segment here comes the science bit Frida science o'clock
0: science o'clock. what happened there is what happened well, they say he's regressing and he looks like a gorilla, but there is a something that Mason says in that whole scene where they're pulling him out of the tank and he's covered in blood and they're over the, trying to um, get him to the radiology and they start talking about that he's having a seizure. It's a seizure hmm. and that's why he's bleeding everywhere. He's had a seizure, has bitten his tongue. And then he says, it's a seizure, it's a TIA, a transient <laughs> ischemic attack. And I was like, those aren't interchangeable terms. A transient ischemic attack is a stroke, a little stroke. A seizure is a different thing. They're not interchangeable. And I actually oh, just like- double-checked <laughs> with a neurologist friend of mine. He says, no, they're not interchangeable. And I was like, ha-ha! <laughs> Got him. <laughs> That's all. That's a teeny gripe, But In terms of the signs in this movie, there's so many things. Like, firstly... The idea of um, cellular memory, um, what what the hell? But also <laughs> memory, and then he goes cellular memory. Memory is energy, right? And then this is the idea of the the first law of thermodynamics, <gasps> yeah. constantly memory being brought energy. up in movies all the time. Because the con- is basically the the first law of thermodynamics being totally abused here yet again in a movie, and what else is there? Idea of hallucinations being part of an altered state, and then mm. of course the use of psychedelic drugs. There's actually quite a lot of good topics yeah. of science here. I'm going to do away oh, with. Don't, the don't forget yeah.
1: about genetic regression and the ability to
0: reconstitute. I was I was going to say that like the events of. The, the movie like fuck it whatever <laughs> like I'm not even I don't want to like start going into that because it's just nonsense and it's crazy and it's fantastical and it's so obviously you can't but that
1: line I'm not that even that line when they take him out of the tank and it's like he has to you know I you've got to take him to the thing before I, re- I literally just wrote down I actually sat there and I just shouted at the tv I just went fuck off <laughs> don't I'm not
0: yeah like it's obviously pseudoscience. It's obviously nonsense. Like, it's so obviously yeah. nonsense that I'm not even want to talk about it. I'll just allow them that craziness. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they start Fair. talking about does he have leukemia? Is there some explanation? Uh, he, reco- he turns into an ape man and he runs around. Okay, fine. But the idea of cellular memory, though, right? Mm-hmm. That our cells have memory and we can maybe remember our origins, the first man or the first origins oh. of man, the primordial existence of of all life on earth, that our cells have memory. Cel- I have a bit on cellular memory. Okay, ready? go
1: ahead. Yeah, oh, I'm ready.
0: Okay, it's the notion Educate that- me. I'm going to educate... Oh, yeah, I'm going to Gwyneth Paltrow you.
1: Cellular Ooh, memory,
0: okay, it's the notion that the human body cells contains clues to our personality, our tastes, histories, independent of like genetic code or brain cells.
1: Uh, okay.
0: And this actually accounts for the reason why people would, for example, eat various animal organs that would be associated with different things like sexual prowess. Like, for example, the horn of rhinoceros. This is actually responsible this sort of thinking is responsible for the for the um Total overhunting of the rhinoceros because people Aww. feel like if they eat the horn of the rhinoceros, then it will give them sexual prowess. This is actually based the, based <laughs> on the idea of cellular memory. Sorry, what? Yes, some people even today think that eating brains will make them smarter. Okay, uh, <laughs> and yeah, wow. And there's another. Thing that this is linked to cellular memory the idea that non-brain tissues can have memories is believed by someone who received an organ transplant and then like they feel like they've taken on some of the characteristics of the person they got the organ from so a oh, lot of yeah. people think that oh i got an organ transplant and suddenly i liked the taste of beer and the person i got the organ from was an 18 year old male oh my god cell memory <laughs> Elron Hubbard. You know Elron Hubbard? Of course. He speculated He's my in diet He's a what?
1: My overlord. Joking.
0: Your overlord. Elron <laughs> Hubbard speculated in Dianetics that cellular memory might explain how engrams work. <laughs> so engrams, this is like uh. the This is what the Scientologists use to, like, get information from your past about, like, what's blocking you. You know, um, there's something in there. I can feel something. So this is, like, the kind of pseudo science that this movie is linked to. Oh,
1: my God. There's this
0: guy, Douglas Douglas Vincent. He wrote a book called Transplant Nation, and he suggests that atypical newfound memories, thoughts, emotions, or preferences after an organ transplant are more suggestive of the immunosuppressant drugs and the stress of surgery on perception than of legitimate memory transference. In other words, he says, it's as imaginary as a bad trip on LSD or other (gasps) psychotropic drugs. Direct quote. Oh, my God. Direct quote. So, this movie should be ashamed of itself (laughs) for using pseudoscience that is linked to the likes of L. Ron Hubbard. Don't mistake (laughs) it. It's total total nonsense total pseudoscience I'm thrilled to say pseudoscience amazing do you, do you what's your feeling about pseudoscience do you, do you sort of when people start talking about things like you know organ transplant and the um, you know the personality or any kind of other thing does it make you angry or does it entertain you or how do you feel about it
1: it it really depends. I think like there's some some aspects definitely where like I think if people are using science for me, it angers me when people use something like pseudoscience to like use it as an agenda, you know, when it's like kind of political yeah. or it becomes this thing where it's like, oh, well, this thing said like I don't know. I don't want to anger people, but
0: um, I don't Injecting
1: know. How do you? you know that oh, I'm like yeah. <laughs> or like the whole I'm I'm saying this and I'm like, I don't know what your stance is on vaccinations. Um well I am a
0: scientist. <laughs> yeah. So
1: But it's just things like where you can create like there can be one paper written at one point where someone did this thing
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then It just like it gets actually properly analyzed, and you know, we continue on in our scientific exploration and we learn a little bit later on oh, well, that experiment wasn't conducted very well, or the results have been debunked, or whatever. And then, next thing, people still use that and people still say, oh, well, science Mm. says this is true, so we can push this agenda. And you're like, no, it doesn't say it's true, it's actually been proven that it's false, but people don't see that because they don't see how we continue on with science so pseudoscience in terms of like lols i'm like yeah awesome this is hilarious (laughs) but then like when it when it's going to affect people's lives and and people's rights and people's ability to do things or make choices and that's when it bugs me i get angry
0: i'm sorry (laughs) no well that was my question do you get angry i guess i do then that was a demonstration there yes, you go. so I do. In yeah, some contexts,
1: I do get angry, and then in other contexts, I just think it's yeah. fucking hilarious. <laughs> like this movie. It's
0: hard these days. I feel like it's getting worse as well. Like people like not um not trusting science or like wanting to listen to pseudoscience. I feel like some sometimes it gets it it gets worse. Um, Mm. And the other – so and we can lead on to because I wanted to talk about the whole – so memory – cells have memory, debunked, and then he says memories is energy. And then he talks about that, you know, you can't destroy or create energy. It has to be transferred, right? So then he's referring to our, you know, old friend, the first law of thermodynamics, which says like a a system – has a constant energy. It can only be transferred to a different state. You can't create it. You can't destroy it. Fine. That's all good. But then when people start using the word energy to talk about other things which aren't measurable energy and then using the first law of thermodynamics to justify some really wacky pseudoscience. Yeah. And actually that is what people use to talk about like there being a soul right? The existence of ghosts. Believe in ghosts. That's all good. Like, but then when they try to use a scientific idea to explain the existence of ghosts, it's like, I have a little bit of science. I'm going to put it in there because it's like validating me. I'm going to like use it to explain this nonsense idea. Memory is not energy. Memory is memory. Energy is energy. That's Mm. it. Like, that's the total nonsense thing as well.
1: I suppose that's the thing. And people, people will bring in an argument with that then where it'll be like, well, how do you quantify em- energy? Not energy,
0: sorry. How do you quantify memory? Like, we can't measure it. So if you can't measure it... It is not. a conserved quantity. And I think we need to make the distinction between something being... <clears throat> I think we need to make the distinction between something being intangible and something being immeasurable. Memory yes. is not Very tangible, but there are ways you could measure memory, but also there are different expressions of memory. We're just using the same word to explain it. And the same thing mm. with the word energy. There are ways that we use the word energy, but we don't really mean energy. She had a good energy, right? I've got it. <laughs> someone walks in the room, she has a good energy. Someone says it, I'm not going to be like, fuck off. I understand that's semantics. The problem with that is then, then people go, and often with movies or just pseudoscientists, they say, you use the word energy. Here, you use the word energy there. The first law of thermodynamics applies to energy. So I'm going to apply it to every use of the word energy. And the mm. same thing, it's a little trick that they do with pseudoscience. And the same thing with, I'm going to say, memory. Mm. There's memory in Uh, wherever memory is stored in the brain, whatever part of the brain is triggered when we're trying to remember something and neuroscientists can maybe map where those things are happening and those pathways. And then there's other sorts of memory. Like, for example, if our bodies have fought a certain uh, disease off once, Mm chickenpox, then those cells and I really am going out of my depths here so I'm not going to use any words here medical terms remember how to fight the chickenpox and these antibodies are stored that's memory as well but those memory expressions are referring to completely different mechanisms so when you talk about our cells have memory our t cells have memory of chickenpox and those come in the form of antibodies, chicken pox antibodies. <clears throat> that isn't the same memory as my memory of my grandmother's chicken soup. Yeah. And neither Grandma's of things those salad. things are energy. Like there's energy and neither of those these, these things are energy, but also memory in cells is not the same as memory of being a, whether I remember being a baby, whether there are things that I remember from being in my mother's womb and all those sorts of things. So yeah. it, it's um, fun. Pseudoscience can be really, really fun. But I think like
1: well it's interesting though because the way you even just the way you're terming that between the memory and stuff it kind of it does I can see where the movie gets the connection in terms of like looking at the idea of what his research is, is based on schizophrenia and schizophrenia being a mental psychosis where someone can't tell the difference between what's real and what's imagined. Yeah. Um, And then like the way that the disorder is affecting the brain is what then leads to hallucinations and delusions hallucinations. and then. Why this would then lead into this idea that, oh, you know, if he's studying that and then sensory deprivation. So I suppose I should kind of say a little bit about what the sensory deprivation thing is. There was an article in Wired, which I'll start out with because they used the best headline out of any article, I think, which is. Out of LSD, just 15 minutes of sensory deprivation will trigger hallucinations. She's <laughs> <Just, laughs> <Are you> serious? <laughs> yeah classic clickbait headline scientific <laughs> article thing i was like what but when you look at it what they're actually talking about is a paper of a study that was done in um at university college london in 2015 where they're talking about how the effects of sensory deprivation can induce um, psychotic like experiences and what they were doing but they i mean they only looked at like what i think 19 patients or something or people uh, not patients people um Where basically what they're saying is that if you don't give your brain any external stimulus or like any sensory patterns to indicate something being external experience or an internal thought, then so if you use the sensory Mm -hmm. deprivation thing to remove all of that, then your brain might superimpose its own sensory patterns and misidentify the source of the thought. So not recognize that it's coming from your brain itself and see it as an external hallucination. So, oh, okay, amazing. cool. that's and if and if that's something that's happening in schizophrenia that like people are subject to hallucinations and delusions, then of course, it makes sense like if you want to experiment the sensory deprivation tank to see if it can if it's schizophrenia is something that's induced or if it's an actual disorder in the brain, I don't know where he would have been going scientifically with that. but then, then, suddenly, it became this thing about how he thought he could hallucinate himself into an altered state of consciousness that would allow him to regress into his form before the universe existed.
0: It's funny that this movie did skip over like what is already known by science about hallucinations. It's a, it's pretty funny, and and but what I think it was and why that the jump happened was that the reason why he was investigating schizophrenics is because he was a religious person and he is basically trying to find God or the truth because he's like really obsessed with it and he just sort of went off the rails on that journey. And I think if someone is, he was very religious as a child and then a big event, which was the loss of his father, made him lose his faith, he's like deeply obsessed with finding the truth. And I think that that was kind of his journey is that, Altered states, sure, but really what he's searching for is, is God. What is the truth? Why are we here?
1: So is that kind of what you think the whole genetic regression thing was about? That if he could regress himself all the way back to the beginning of creation, that he could be faced with God? Like that, he if he could see creation, then he could see God?
0: I think he's done away with the idea that there's some externality to it all. Is the thing. Mm. And he says that and he talks about Buddhism. Buddhism. But, um, doing away with the idea of a deity and talking about it's all an internal journey. So he's basically switched his search for a god from a sort of external searching to an internal thing. And then he starts to go on the whole thing about, well, cells have memory and memory is energy. And it can't, it has to be. So our cells are the same cells as da 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 da, da. And the memory has to be stored in there somewhere. So if I just get high enough, if I just <laughs> get high enough, I can regress so much out of my state of consciousness. Because as we know, consciousness is very much we're preoccupied with what we see, touch, feel, hear, right? So if we do yeah. away with in all of our consciousness and totally feel completely in our bodies, which is what a lot of people's experience of psychedelic drugs are then maybe I can search deep enough inside me to find the deep truths so I think that's sort of the the journey there um but I well that actually sorry go on and that does lead us into talking a little bit about psychedelic drugs if you want to have that conversation we talk about psychedelic Uh, drugs I tried to look at genetic regression I literally tried to look
1: on a scientific basis for this and this is my note I wrote on it I tried to look at it Then my brain started to hurt I'm pretty sure they don't mean That a healthy adult man Can hallucinate himself Into an actual physical change To his genetic structure And evolution So and then, and then I just left it Yeah okay. I
0: don't I, I be, nah. So uh, yeah but yeah. I
1: think you're right If there was a bit more ambiguity <laughs> Into the idea of I The hallucinations and, and that it was all more Kind of his creation if There weren't so many Kind of external people Involved in The witnessing aspect of the hallucinations Then it would be a lot more Related to I guess what the The realistic basis Of the research was which is the basis in Like John C. Lilly's um, Work with LSD and Psychedelic drugs so
0: yeah I I can take the whole oh is he a gorilla and I can take the whole like let's say from his point of view he was a prehistoric man and other people were just mistaken because of the way he was behaving was so much like an animal and it was also fast I, I could take that as being ambiguous but I think when the wife is reaching in the whirlpool and pulling him out. Yeah. And I think when they turn into this funny, crackly radio fire things. Rocky oh, fire Oh, her fucking lava suit. At the, her what lava was that? suit at the end. Body suit of lava. Then At that <laughs> and point, he... I'm like, yeah, it's happening. <laughs> Either that scene was meant to be them just doing so many drugs together. They did so many no, drugs no. together that they were like, I love you. And he's like, I love you. Is that just them being so high? Like that part of the end was like oh my god <laughs> whoa well, what was that it was like they had five minutes left of the film and they were in a hallway and they were like what can we do in this hallway <laughs> i mean
1: that was so crazy like some of us some of us continue to search for truths and science and some of us devolve into pre-universe existing globs of <sighs> jabba the hut slash hellraiser looking beings And then reconstitute back into our human
0: form. (laughs) That's right. so yeah Speaking of that end scene, I feel like Uh, it's time for us to play a bit of music. Yes, it is. Would you say?
1: I think so, very, very much so. All right, let's play some Uh, music. What the the?
0: What the fuck? This movie, Frida, what was your what the fuck moment? I can only say in earnest what was my first time that I said, what the fuck, when I watched this movie. And then I stopped saying it. So my what the fuck moment is the very first time that I said it because that would be truthful. And the very – it's it's the weird sex scene at the beginning Yeah, when they're outside and he's like, are you going to come – can I come home with you? And it's kind of like he's so handsome and she's so cute and I really – loved their chemistry i felt like i was there like it just felt really good cut to what the fuck (laughs) first of all they clearly just threw buckets of water on them (laughs) and i don't want to get explicit but like this is a film for adults okay that's there's nothing wrong with making a film that is 100 for adults and there's no mistake in it that is totally cool. Love it. So they're in the middle of doing it. And he's like, so you just cut to him with a look on his face. And then he like looks through like a stained glass window and has like this crazy religious moment, which causes him to stop. And she's like, what's you doing wrong? And then, by the way, she's totally cool. with The fact that he has this crazy religious moment in the middle of their first sexual encounter and then they like stop in the middle and she's like 100% cool with it. <laughs> she's like, oh, yeah, another part of his amazing genius. This is just what it's like. You know what I mean?
1: I, I wrote <sighs> that
0: line down because
1: she just went, what are you thinking about? And he's like, oh, God, God, <laughs> she's, like, get sorry, the what? fuck out of there. <laughs> leave, <laughs> leave. Get off me now.
0: <laughs> oh. oh, my God. There is such a funny bit in Sex and the City where Miranda is dating like an ex-Catholic and every time they have sex, like immediately he goes into the shower.
1: Yes, yes, <laughs> I remember that scene so vividly. And she's always so just sat in the bed just going, what is happening?
0: And she goes, she's like, why do you do it? And he said something about all the nuns. And she's like, the nuns, great. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Run. <laughs>
1: oh my god
0: it's so funny i i just watched that thinking about miranda being like nope (laughs) (laughs) that was my first moment that i said that and then after that i don't know if i like i was just i I was kind of i guess along for the ride ish it was harsh though what what was what was your moment singular (laughs) what the fuck moment of this movie
1: so yeah, I so I I was very much the same as you. Yeah, that definitely there was there was a there was a first moment, then yeah. there was a bunch of moments, and then there was just I just stopped kind of writing down what the fuck <laughs> I just, But there was one thing that um <laughs> this is so random, but there was one thing that happened that just made me laugh. Yeah. During the first hallucination, right when he's in the tank and there's like the sky and the religious and there's the Mary Poppins looking scene with him and her. Oh, oh, no, I know like that was that. in the no, that was in the big hallucination. Sorry, yeah. I'm wrong. Okay, no. During one of the first hallucinations in the tank before he took the um whatever the tincture was, the ayahuasca style stuff. Um there was a hallucination and in the hallucination there was this ram. And this ram had about 8 eyes. Now that's yeah. fine cuz it's a hallucination. Yeah. But I don't know if anyone else noticed the moment where the ram with all the eyes had an end of catwalk model pose moment that was very Zoolander doing blue steel. <laughs> there was just this thing. And there's the ram just side on and then out of nowhere, it just flips its head and stares at the camera. And then it's side on again. And then it flips its head and stares at the camera. And then I could just imagine it just strutting back up the runway. <laughs> I was just like going... Why is why is the Ram giving me a model pose? What is happening?
0: Oh, my God. So
1: I just went that with Ram, the most it was random what the fuck moment <laughs> that I felt in the whole movie.
0: How did... <sighs> I, I just... It. In the production of all of that, do you know the special effects crew quit in the middle of the movie?
1: What? No.
0: Yes. <gasps> why? Because middle. it was so
1: ter- <laughs> Because they made them stand under fireworks for like half an hour.
0: I, d- I don't know I think the whole production was a nightmare but like a lot of those a lot of those hallucinations I can't tell like did they storyboard this is this like supposed to be telling something or did they just go chuck a ram in it chuck around ram.
1: Ram with 10 eyes in it make it look at the camera
0: make it look at the camera make it turn away it's like some part of me thinks that they had no plan at all whatsoever they weren't trying to communicate anything at all and and the more oh. that we try to look into it the more miserable we'll become
1: yeah, I know. I started looking a little bit and then I just read there was some stuff just about like how difficult um, oh, what's the what was the writer's name again? Chayefsky? Chayefsky. Chayefsky. Uh, some stuff about how difficult he was but then also about how completely difficult Ken Russell was as well so I was just like oh, do you know what? It must have just been like a fucking rough experience for everyone.
0: <laughs> I, I, um, yeah. Except for Drew, Drew Barrymore.
1: Yeah. Drew, Drew did alright, didn't she? <laughs> did she even have a line? <laughs> and and the grad student escaped.
0: Oh my god. Okay,
1: so model Ram's head aside let's let's go into our final final little bit, our final verdicts. So, first yeah. question.
0: <laughs> yeah. Did it pass the Bechdel test? Hell no.
1: Of course not.
0: Oh, women were just cardboard cutouts. Just there. <laughs> One was there yeah. to
1: communicate the information about seven years. And then also to <laughs> communicate the information about the divorce and the fact that he was going to Mexico to get this drug. Yeah. And Crazy. um and then she was there to facilitate his need for scientific exploration and then to pull him out of it. But yeah, there were they the two women that were in the movie didn't talk to each other, so they never talked to each other. <laughs> no, <it> Did that. <laughs> um okay, so science. Here comes
0: the science. Did it pass? No, it didn't, and because it put, uses too much pseudoscience, it's all pseudoscience. It's it's there's like a little bit of interesting science in there that I think we've managed to pull out, you know, to talk about a few different yeah. bits and pieces. But no, like, uh, uh, do you scientists agree with me? were good? Uh, I loved the scientists. Yeah, no, the that's, scientists yeah. and
1: the science environment was good. That worked, but the actual. And I suppose that that's part of like that's a lot of what we talk about as well. It's like. Not, not overly, like, I mean, we've said it before, you know, the fiction, fiction in the science is fine. And yeah, a pseudoscience topic, that's, you know, I mean. That's fine. They've done better than most movies in terms of like how they're presenting the scientists and their, their you know, motivations and what they're doing and then how they actually go about it. So for me, it, it did pretty okay with the science, mm. but you know, then the actual topic of what they're doing in terms of the um, regression. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, I think any time a movie
0: does the whole blah, blah is energy. Energy cannot be destroyed or created. <laughs> That's automatic. Oh, that was spectral me. as well. As I says, yeah, it's, it's spectral, just the same thing. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, they do this whole speech where they make all these jumps and leaps and like somewhere in there is something is energy and energy can't be destroyed. Yeah. It's like it's so tiresome.
1: We should have start a counter. How many movies do this?
0: So we're on two.
1: Yeah. <laughs> First law so, of
0: thermodynamics feature. Okay. Yeah. So what's your final verdict? I'm gonna give us a three stars. Okay.
1: I'm gonna go two point five. What's your reasoning? My two point five is for the the layout for the fact that they used a lot of like the dialogue and the feeling of the relationships and the fact that I loved Mason so much and how they interacted with each other in that kind of respect. Um but then the rest of it for me just—I think there was a, there was a lot of it that I mean it's also down to like the types of movies that I like, but there was a lot of it that was just down to my brain just going, "What is happening? Why is he a caveman? What is going on?" Also, he ate the little sheep thing, and I actually wrote down. Oh no wait, I did write down in um.
0: Ooh, I didn't even mention he that. He
1: threw a rock and knocked out. A little thing, dragged it away, and then ate it. I hate this fucker. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I just, I guess, like, that's that's my reasoning. Uh, there was a lot about it that I thought was done quite well, and it was an enjoyable experience, but it took a long time for it to go from, it, like, it felt like two separate movies. The first half of the movie was, it's this, like, scientists doing this thing, and then the second half of the movie was just, batshit fucking crazy pseudoscience yeah. shit
0: and totally. so that's
1: where i'm going with it half of the movie gets yeah right well it.
0: that's why i'm at three stars because some of it i'm like love it and then some of it's just off the chart so it sort of ends up somewhere in the middle yeah and this was one of those movies a little bit for me where i go like why am i putting myself through this it had body horror in it I which is like, like that which is i'm hard. sorry i
1: did that's why I, I had want- to stop it And I had to like And I suppose And as you said You were waiting for me To message you To say <laughs> I fucking hate you Because I it. I struggled with Forcing myself to watch it Yeah <laughs> But yeah. at the same time I was like
0: Okay a lot of, I, get, I get what they're doing here But yeah <laughs> So that was my movie pick And I think You have the pick I do And week. what's
1: hilarious what, Like what's I'm actually gonna... hilarious Is like you were saying About how you felt like You needed Um Something comforting Because it's the pandemic And stuff And that like We need something comforting And I can tell you right now I'm not going to comfort you
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry Oh dang it right. So Lay it on me
1: My choice I have gone with um, So Well I I feel like You'll be happy though So I'm going to keep us On a British filmmaker's path We're going to Have our first Experience of Danny Boyle Uh, Return to a bit of An Alex Garland Written script so, I yeah. am going with the movie Sunshine.
0: Oh my god. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I know the soundtrack to that movie. I it's literally
1: amazing. Knew you would be I knew the soundtrack would come up for you for that. And it has
0: Killian Killian, Killian Murphy? Murphy.
1: It's great cast Who- Benedict Wong is back.
0: Return of Benedict Wong. Killian Murphy is got this scary beautiful face. Oh, those eyes are insane. I love the scary beautiful face that he's mm. got. Um oh my god. I've <laughs> never seen Sunshine Abbey. But I've never know, seen it. Yes. I've never seen it, but I know the soundtrack. And I know it okay. has Killian Murphy. Okay. So I actually can't wait. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm very
1: I am very excited for you to watch Yee-hoo. it then. Yay. All right. Okay, well so, then that's our next one in two weeks.
0: Oh, but you can that's that's us in two weeks, but next week you'll be able to catch our mini episodes. Mini episode, yes. We just started last week. We're gonna be continuing our nineties disaster film theme for that one. Yeah. So catch yeah. us then. So
1: yes, yeah, so if you need a, if you need a little hit of us, short hit <laughs> of us in between, then yeah, <laughs> check it out um so that's our episode for today thank you for listening if you would like to get in contact you can email us on science at the movies at gmail.com or you can catch us on instagram at science at the and please 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 give us a rating and subscribe so that the lovely people can find us mixed in with all the millions of celebrity podcasts
0: thank you yes. and good night good night or good day